Hey there, and welcome to Reaching Out with Michael Constable. I'm your host, Michael, and Reaching Out is a weekly podcast on a mission to make coming out easier through story sharing. In this week's episode, I chat with a friend of mine from San Francisco, Blake Mitchell. Blake walks us through his coming out journey while touching on topics like the power of self-expression while coming out, how good it feels not having to explain yourself to people, and the challenges with coming out in a conservative and religious upbringing. He also tells us what it was like to have to come out to his family twice, first as gay in his teens, and then years later as a drag queen. Take a listen. Here we are. I am so excited to introduce the very first ever recorded guest on the podcast. Um, This is somebody that I have known in San Francisco. I think we met during over quarantine. So in the last year, but I haven't actually gotten to know you very well. So I'm super excited to have you on today. Um, Welcome, Blake Mitchell. Thank you so much for being on. Hi, super honored to be here and just very excited about this podcast. Um, I'm coming to you live from my childhood closet, which is very (laughs) ironic given the topic of this. Um, My mom has taken it over with all of her clothes. So still surrounded by my mother's clothes all these years later (laughs) in my childhood bedroom. Here we are. Some things never change. (laughs) Some things never change. (laughs) I will say this is actually like the perfect background for this. And I'm surprised you have this good lighting too. By being in a closet. <laughs> oh, well, you can't see. I didn't just leave it to chance. There's like an array of lamps over here. Amazing. Like we got a setup going. So, oh, yeah. perfect. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's amazing. Um, I think it would be helpful. Let's start out to give the audience some context. Who is Blake Mitchell? Um, you live in San Francisco. Um, yep. What else do you want to share? Yeah, so I live in San Francisco. I've been a Californian for actually be 10 years this coming January, which is pretty wild to think about. Um, but I grew up in the South, so I am back home at my parents' house visiting right now um, outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up here uh, at the end of a mile on dirt road. I graduated high school with 13 people, very small town upbringing. Um, I went to college in Georgia, uh, was dead set on moving to California to work in the entertainment industry. So studied film and TV and finance, moved to LA and was like, what did I do? Where am I? What is this? Like, this is not right. Um, so by, you know, make a long story short, had a bit of a quarter life crisis, ended up in San Francisco uh, to take a job at Google, been there for eight years. Um, the time in San Francisco has been incredible. I started doing drag during that time, uh, found, you know, incredible people, definitely have fallen more into my, I think, true queer self being in the Bay Area, which we can get into, of course, more later. Um, I would say, you know, as an individual, super committed to activism, fundraising, stay pretty tapped into a number of LGBT organizations. And yeah, just I love the queer community in San Francisco. I think being a part of the drag scene has made it even that more rich and exciting. Um, And the journey at Google has been interesting, too. I've, I've worked a number of roles, but have landed the last six months I've been working in diversity and inclusion at YouTube, which has been a great experience. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, I think there's a couple of interesting things in your intro that, uh, that piqued my interest. One was, uh, how you mentioned, because this resonated with me too, is you kind of, when you moved to San Francisco, that kind of helped you, helped you in your queer journey. I think that's when you said you got into drag. Um, similar for me, when I moved to San Francisco, it was a very pivotal time. I I think I was one year into coming out at that point. And so it was like, and I was 29 years old. So moving to San Francisco, which is, you know, one of the gayest cities ever, it's, it was like mm-hmm. drinking from the fire hose of, you know, coming out. <laughs> I, I tell people that when people ask about what it's like 
what it has been like coming out while living in SF. It's like, I equate, I was like one gay year in SF, I feel like is the equivalent of like seven gay years in other cities. I'm like, if I, if I were to have spent that year almost anywhere else, you know, maybe there's some exceptions, maybe like LA, New York, some of these other um, bigger metropolitan cities that have, that are, you know, gay friendly. Um, I don't think that I would have, I would be where I am. I don't think I would be starting a podcast right now about coming out um, if I hadn't had, you know, the experience in SF, because it really does, I feel like accelerate almost everything in almost every aspect. So um, I thought yeah. that was interesting. Um, and I'm also so excited. Uh, you, you alluded to it. Um, Mary Lou Pearl. I'm so excited. I'm also speaking <laughs> with a uh, local celebrity as well. And so I'm, I'm really excited to kind of hear about uh, how Mary Lou Pearl came to, came to be. My so. God, well, hardly a celebrity, but I do <laughs> force myself up onto the stage a few times a month in the Bay Area and make people throw $1 bills at me. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that definitely has been a huge part of this journey. Um, yeah. I hate to use like tech industry terms, but I do feel like the Bay is sort of like an incubator of queerness in a way. I think for me, uh, and I know we'll go into this more in depth, but I think just being in a place where there's always someone more queer, more out there doing something, you know, more extreme and seeing that like, oh, there's so everything is okay. It's sort of like anything goes um, allowed. I think for me, it was such a like counterbalance to growing up in such a conservative place in the South where it was like, here's the strict rules. Here's what boys and girls do. Here's the social norm. And SF is like the whole point of the city in the last 50 years has been about countering that. Right. And just yeah. being like, be what you want. And so, I, I mean, I wouldn't be a drag performer. I don't think if I didn't live there, I wouldn't be sitting here wearing pearls with my ears pierced if I had lived in San Francisco. Like there's just so much that's kind of like unpacked over time that I think that space is allowed. And I do think that can happen other places. I don't mean to say like everyone has to move to the Bay to like move ahead, but I think, you know, finding places that are accepting and open where you can really explore your true identity can be such a benefit, I think, in helping along in this journey. Yeah, I totally agree. I That's exactly how I felt when I moved here. Um, it really opens your eyes to like anything's a po- anything's possible. Let's go into your coming out story. How I think the best for me when I have conversations with people about their coming out stories, and when I you know kind of explain my own, um, kind of like your origin story. Like I feel like my for me personally, the environment in which I grew up in, like the the city, the neighborhood, all of that stuff, um, did have you know had an effect on you know the me feeling comfortable um, or not feeling comfortable enough to come out. Um, it really kind of like set the groundwork, I think, for my for me. And it took me, I didn't come out until I was 28. And so obviously like, I, I wish I had come out a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, when I look back, I think that, you know, your beginnings kind of, um, kind of help shape the trajectory of what your coming out process is going to look like for you. Um, and so let's do that. Let's dive into that a little bit with you. So you mentioned you um, grew up in, in Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, grew up in Georgia. And, you know, up for our listeners, I'll preface a bit of kind of where we're going. I, I, you know, feel like I've, one, come out maybe in a few different ways over time. And like, you know, it, it's not something that's a singular moment. But when I think about that, like quintessential, what is the first time you know, you said I'm gay, you know, in terms of the environment. So I alluded to this a little bit before, but definitely grew up in a very conservative place. Uh, Grew up going to uh, Church of Christ twice a week, sometimes three times a week, every week. Both grandparents, sets of grandparents were very religious as well. Uh, My dad like led worship often. My mom was like in Bible study. So, and in this particular Christian environment, there wasn't a lot of space for queerness. Um, you know, 
when I was, let's see, when I was like a little kid, I mean, as I look back and as I talk to my parents, like I definitely, the, the writing was on the wall the whole time, right? I was definitely a more effeminate child. Um, even before I knew, I think other people started to figure out, but there just wasn't a model for that. You know, as I've talked to my parents over time, they didn't have really gay or queer friends. There weren't people in our community. There weren't models of seeing that. And, you know, so there wasn't like, even when, as I was exploring that, there was no no one around me that I saw that was like me, even being a little boy and being much more effeminate. Um, So even before, like there was any idea of like gayness or queerness for me, I just felt different. There was like this feeling of being different. And I was a late bloomer, hit puberty late. So even before it was like a sexual attraction, I just remember as a little kid, like having crushes on other boys and being like, oh, it was more like, I really want to be friends with them. Like, I, I think the earliest was probably, I would have been in second or third grade. Um, this kid named Daniel Williams. I have no idea where he is. Maybe he's queer and we'll hear this one day. And if so, like <laughs> you were my first thing I like recognized where I was like, I just really want to be friends with him. And I remember like on the playground trying to play with him and then being so upset when he didn't want to play with me. And now I look back and I was like, oh, that was a crush. Like it definitely was before I even knew what that was um it's so interesting it's you say tricky. that because i feel like sorry i feel like you you just hit something on the head that i kind of have been going through is like you it's hard to pinpoint to one specific you know moment for me at least and i, yeah. I do find myself like as time goes on like random core memories are unlocked and i'm like oh wait maybe that was like they keep coming mm-hmm. at different times and like i can't think of them all at the at the you know right now but i'll have you know interspersed like i'll just be thinking about something completely randomly and, and then there's like memory from when i'm nine years old pops up i'm like oh wait that was that was probably a sign <laughs> um so i just I found that kind of interesting Totally. Or you like look back at photos and I'm like, oh, wow, that person or that moment or look at me at this time in my life. Like I can totally see the beginnings of that. But I think when you're in a place where there's no space for that, you just suppress, suppress, suppress. Right. And yeah. or you don't you don't, don't even have the like language or understanding to really recognize what it was. Exactly. Um, what was interesting for me, too, is that I because I was a late bloomer and was not like sexually attracted to boys until a bit later than other people were hitting puberty people started to figure me out before I figured myself out. So I think they, as soon as I got to like fifth and sixth grade, all of the slurs, all of the names, all of the things started. And at that point I was like, I don't even, I don't know what this means yet. Like I, I, that was sort of my first like realization of like, Oh, you're different. Right. Like this kid who's very into theater, more effeminate again, being a late bloomer, like didn't help at all. Cause I was just, you know, had, had hit puberty. So I think at that, that's when the kind of like, oh shit, like something's going on here. And then of course, as that started to develop, I was like, I have to like hide this at all costs because this is clearly something that's not okay. But even when I did, like they'd already kind of pinpointed who they thought it was. And so it made it very hard where I say in many ways, like one some of the reasons I came out as early as I did was because like everyone else figured me out before I did. Yeah. Like it was kind of without, it wasn't as much of an option. And, and despite... What was very interesting though, so this is going on in school. I'm in a church that's like preaching against homosexuality. There's no space there. No one around me is gay. Um, But what was very unique and I am very grateful for in my experience is that my dad recognized what was going on very early and was actually very, very supportive. Um, it, It was weird because he would like talk about like gay history. We even like went on a, he took me on a trip to San Francisco when I was like 12 or 13 and the whole trip wasn't about this, but I remember distinctly, he like took me to 
the Castro and was like, Hey, we're just driving through here. We're not going to stop. I just wanted you to see like, there's this neighborhood here. That's like all gay people live here. And I was like, why are you showing me this? Like, so scared of like, Oh shit. Like, why did he bring me here? That was it. It was like a brief thing. We just like drove through on our way somewhere else. But he just being of a very, like, he's a, he's a doctor, very scientific mind has always been like, this is just how people are and kind of saw the writing on the wall. And he knew, I think that my mom would really struggle with it, but kind of identified that early. So for years we played this weird song and dance where he would kind of like allude to things or be like, you know, if you're different or attracted to boys, like that's okay. And I was like, I'm definitely not. Um, so this was like 12, 13, 14. Um, and then at 14, in the early years of the internet, before I was more skilled at covering my tracks, my parents yeah. found some <laughs> questionable searches on the computer. My mom oh, yeah. did. And, and this is when everything blew up and became uh, very challenging. So trigger warning for anyone listening, we're going to talk briefly about uh, conversion therapy. So at that point, he hadn't really clued her in on like these conversations we were having because he knew how much she would struggle with it. And when she found out, she was like, this is not okay. This can't be the case. Like not my son, like more of the traditional, not traditional, but I think like what people think out, people coming out in the South. And I was scared. Like I, at that point did not want to be gay or queer. And so I was like, no, I don't want to be this way. I'm, I don't know. It's just a, you know, phase, like all the things, because I was just so freaked out. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, well, why don't you talk to someone or why don't we like see what, how we can like help you with this essentially. Um, which led to, you know, it, it was not um, conversion therapy in the way you might see like in the movie, like Boy Erased necessarily, where like, I didn't go to like gay camp. I wasn't like abused physically, but I was sent to stay with a, a family member, an uncle who is a pastor and spent a couple months like staying with him and in there, you know, sessions where he was trying to like pray the gay way and telling me how awful this was. And it was traumatic. I mean, it was very, very challenging. I, I remember wanting so bad at the time for that to work. I remember even like sneaking like magazines with women in them and staring at them and being like, I want so badly for this to be possible. Like, I just want like, will anything happen? Like, cause he kept saying like, replace your feelings for women or for, for men with feelings for women that are healthy. And I was like, damn, dude, I'm like really trying, but there's Do just nothing best. here. I know. Like I'm literally here looking at these photos and like, there is just not even the smallest spark happening. Um, so although it was a very, you know, challenging thing and I don't wish that upon anybody, strangely by the end of it, I felt so defeated. I was like, well, if this is what's meant to fix me, and it doesn't work. And I've tried everything they've said and still in this way, then this must be it. Like this has got to be just how I am. Um, so I came back from that experience. Mom was like, how'd it go? I was like, I don't really want to talk about it. We spent months sort of dodging it. Um, and ultimately, I guess the like point, the like what I would call my like formal coming out was my dad around Christmas time, like asked if I would like go to dinner with just Tim. And he was like, again, this conversation we'd had where he was like, if this is who you are, it's going to be really challenging. Your mom's going to have a really hard time. It's going to be tough at school and everywhere, but like, it's not going to go away. And so like, 
know that I support you and we will figure it out, which, you know, as I talk about is like really unbelievable. I mean, it makes me really emotional because I, I wouldn't have happened without that, you know, and we'll talk, I've had struggles with him in the future about other things, but like at that moment, like someone just seeing you and before you can even see or accept yourself and giving you permission to step into who you are and saying, I've got your back is critical. And I think, you know, for anyone listening as an ally, um, if you see people or young people, especially I think in your life who may be struggling or may be questioning anything or who share even a nugget of, you know, like, Hey, I've got this going on. Just saying, I see you and accept you however you are can be life-changing I mean, it certainly was for me. And that is the only reason I came out at 15 years old was because he told me that he would have my back and support me when I did that. I remember I, I felt like I wasn't officially out, out until like I, until I came out to my parents and I didn't have the situation yeah. of, you know, them kind of pulling it out or like, you know, let setting the stage of like letting me know it would be okay if that's, you know, if that's who I am. Um, so like, that was my biggest concern was like coming out to them. And once I came out to them, it was like, okay, then I'm out and I don't care who knows. Um, but that, that's really amazing that, that you had your dad there to be, you know, of all people to have your dad, um, you know, kind of let you know that it's okay. And he supports you. It's like huge, especially at 15. I mean, I did when I was 28, like I can only imagine how much more challenging it could have been at, at 15. It was, you know, I think people, will say things like, wow, you must, you're so strong to have come out that early or, yeah. or, you know, and I don't, I don't negate like the strength that I had to muster up to get through that time in my life. But at the same time, it was sort of like, it just happened. Like life just yeah. happens. Like the kids at school had figured it out. My dad's telling me like, I know this is who you are. My mom's already now seen these searches for porn on the computer. And so I'm like, well, shit, I'm here. Like, I don't know what else, like how much longer can I keep up this facade? Like it's completely broken down. And so I think you just survive, honestly, you just find a way to survive um, and get through it. And it wasn't easy, but you know, I don't think it has anything really a lot to do with any particular strength that I had, but just the circumstances that presented themselves at that time. Um, And it was, you know, it was interesting. I mean, so I also came out right around the time when Facebook started, uh, which will age me for some of our listeners, but (laughs) I didn't quite, hadn't quite understood like how social media could work, if that made sense. Like that seems silly to say now, but that, so when I like came out to my parents, I told a couple close friends, but did not immediately come out at school. Um, That next spring was pretty terrible at home with my mom she went into a complete spiral. She, you know, and we've talked about this and unpacked and she's amazing now, but like, it was pretty bad. And so the next summer in between my junior or my sophomore, my junior year of high school, um, my dad was like, if you want to spend the summer somewhere else, go stay with like a friend or whatnot, like that could be really maybe helpful just to have a change of environment. Um, just sad that's what we had to do. But that ended up being super transformational because I'd had a a friend who's really a good friend now who was an exchange student in my high school. And she went back to Germany and her parents were like, if you ever want to visit, come stay with us. And so I went for a month and it was around the time I got a Facebook. I think you could, as you were like becoming a junior, they just unlocked it to not college students. And so we're like running around. She was like, I'll take you to your first pride. Like her family was like very progressive. She was a year older. Her cousin was gay. 
So we're like running around. I went to my first pride. We were like doing all this stuff. And I got back and my best friend in high school who I told was like, so you came out. And I was like, no, I, no, I just told you. And like, you know, my parents know she was like, no, you came out. Like you posted all this stuff on your Facebook and like everyone's seen it. Like they all know now. And I was like, oh shit. So I was like coming back into my junior year. I was like, shit, they, now everyone knows. Like I didn't even process that that was going to be the impact. So again, it was sort of like, it wasn't like I made some bold thing. Like I stood up at an assembly and told everyone it was just, it just happened. And so, you know, it was interesting. It was like a whole thing, the small town, like no one's ever come out of the school before. Like all these people talk to me. There were like parent teacher conference meetings about it. It It's like a whole nonsense, but ultimately it turned out to be okay. Like I surrounded myself, I think as maybe many of us have at different stages with very protective and amazing women who were like, we will kick anyone's ass if they say anything sideways to you. So the bullies learned to like, leave me alone. Cause they weren't, the girls were going to hate them if they were mean to me, which forever grateful for that too. Yeah. And I just kind of survived. I just like made it through until I could get out. So you said at this point, you, to your knowledge are the only, only gay person at your school, um, at least who's out um, even to a few people. Um, since then, have you learned of more people from your high school, your grade, or even around you that, that were also maybe struggling with that too, and are maybe out now? Yeah, it's been, it's funny. So while I've been back home, my sister came up from Florida and we, the other night went through old yearbooks and we started to pinpoint people, ones who'd come out, who were there at the same time, others who were still have question marks about, and we're like, I wonder if they ever found their way or if they kind of regressed back into like a more conservative environment or, you know, what happened to them, but there definitely were others. Um, it was just tough. And again, I feel like I, it was a unique set of circumstances that allowed me to get out. But most people, even when I was in high school, other young gay people or queer people that I met were really waiting until college because many of them were very afraid that if they weren't out of the house, that they would be cut off or kicked out. And sure. so they waited to go to college to really express much of anything because they just didn't feel safe. Yeah. Or how much did growing up with a, with a family that was more religious have an effect i mean obviously i think it sounds like it it led to you staying at your uncle's um was that one of the bigger or the biggest um hurdle that you think you had to deal with in terms of like resistance i guess to coming to you coming out either internally or externally with your family yeah i think it's two things i think that's one and i I'm not someone who identifies as a religious person anymore. And I you know, don't mean in this conversation to bash anyone with religious beliefs. My mom is still very religious. She's very accepting of queer people now and has yeah. grown a lot, but it certainly was the biggest obstacle. I think the way that um, a lot of, especially conservative Christian teachings have been interpreted, have just, I think, molded in a way some by politics, some by religion, uh, to make queer people into a common enemy and something to be feared. And there's just some reason why that particular thing that's in the Bible is just this like demonized thing that's just like toxic and evil and can't be a part of it. But so many other things, I feel like they kind of like more of a past, like divorce and other stuff. And so, I mean, the, the language used around it was really awful. You know, it's like, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. You're, this is like against God's plan of the devil, um, the way that people talked about it. And when I came out, I had gone to the same church my entire childhood. 
was not allowed back in the door, never have spoken to any of those people again. They wouldn't uh, talk to me. They wouldn't allow, we were asked to leave, uh, not go back. And I've never, the whole people I knew my entire childhood, whole family. No, they were way. like, if this is something you accept, you're not welcome here. Yeah. And this is at 15. And I, there's like 15. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I think even with accepting parents to, or accepting dad, like, and obviously that's not somewhere I wanted to be or felt safe, but yeah. to have that part of like your community just cut out immediately because of this thing was traumatizing. I mean, it's just like, these were like, there were older people I would sit with every week who were like, you know, surrogate grandparents for me. I, so many of my friends were there. I, you know, even if it was a complicated place, like I'd been going every week for years and they were like, nope we can't even let this in the door. We can't even like have a conversation with you unless you wow. get rid of this thing or change. So um, where the religious piece certainly is one. I think that the other side is like, which maybe for most people I've talked to who've come out resonates is parents, especially straight parents who maybe have not had a lot of exposure to queer people just have a very specific idea of what their child will be like. Mm-hmm. You know, they envision a childhood maybe like their own or, when I've asked my parents, like, who did you think I would be? They were like, thought you'd play baseball. We thought you'd like date the like head cheerleader. Like those are the <laughs> things we, you know, experienced. And so I think a lot of it is just like this unpacking of, okay, what I thought my kid is going to be is not who they are. And the immediate reaction was like, their life's going to be harder. He's not gonna be able to have kids. Like, you know, my parents both worked in medicine during the AIDS epidemic. So that certainly was like, oh shit, now we have a gay son and we've watched hundreds of men die like in the hospital with us. And so I, I see how then it's like their idea of what my life would be was colored by that. And I think it just took a lot of time then for them to realize that like things are changing. Every person is unique and it may not be exactly like what you thought, um, but it still can be great and has been great. But that immediate reaction was just like, Oh no, this was not the plan. This is not what we signed up for. You know, it just, there's that expectation I think that people put on who their kids will be that you have to just get rid of at some point. Absolutely. I found, I've, I've found that to be exactly what you just said about, you know, your parents' expectations for what, you know, their expectations of what they thought for you and your future. Um, you know, I've had to, I've struggled with that too. Is like, like I said, I'm moving to San Francisco. I feel like my trajectory of, you know, acceptance and self-love and everything and like true, like, you know, for lack of a better word, pride about, you know, mm-hmm. being gay has like, you know, been exponential, but I have to realize that my parents have not lived in San, have not been living in San Francisco and been on the same journey. So like, they're still adjusting their expectations from what they had for me. Um, and so I'm trying to be like, you know, understanding and patient and all that stuff with it, but it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. It's hard. I think, yeah, that's, I know we talked about before we started, like, nuggets of wisdom for people on their journey. I think one that I really struggled with a lot was I felt like I'd struggled in silence and been submitted to all of this awful stuff for years. And so when I finally said, this is me and I'm gay and coming out, my immediate reaction was like, figure it out, everyone. It's not my problem anymore. (laughs) It's like, just figure it out. I'm not doing any more work because I'm exhausted. And y'all have been terrible to me for years. And to your point, for parents, like there is a lot that they need to unpack. And I, you know, I think there's a distinction where I don't excuse the things that happened that were really hurtful. I don't just say, 
I still acknowledge with them, you did send me to conversion therapy and that was terrible. But I do recognize at the time you thought you were doing the right thing for me, or this was the information you had. You had seen hundreds of men die of HIV. And so you were scared, right? Like I think understanding where they're coming from helps with forgiveness. And I think also giving them permission to ask questions, because I think sometimes they get so sensitive that then they're afraid to even like dig into some of the harder stuff with you. And I've found over time when I've asked my parents and, and we'll get to drag later, but when I, when I that started, I was like, ask them, what are their biggest fears or questions proactively? Because they were too afraid to ask me. They didn't want the same thing to happen again, where I got really hurt. And so I think sometimes like when you're okay with it, if you can ask those people in their life, like what is confusing to you or what can I explain? Because there's a lot of work we do on our end before coming out that they haven't had the opportunity to do. And it can be really helpful if you're able to offer that to them to, to have those tough conversations because it's a process, right? And it takes years for them too. I really like, I really like your, your, your thought there about, you know, being proactive about it because I'm like, as you're saying, I'm like, I should actually take his advice about this because one of the frustrating, I found it frustrating when, you know, I, I'm an open book. I consider myself a, a pretty open book at this point. Um, like, like truly, you know, I think when you come out, you like go through phases of like confidence and, you know, you reach the point where you're, you feel comfortable posting about it on social media. And then, you know, you reach a point kind of what you said, where you're like, I'm out, everybody deal with it. I don't like, this is not for me to worry about it anymore. It's like, you figure it out for yourselves. Cause it, I've already spent too much, you know, energy, you know, mm-hmm. throughout this whole process. And so, yeah, it's like, I, I found myself, I find myself struggling sometimes. Like all I want, I like truly want people to ask me questions like in my life who, you know, it's typically people from, from back home that, you know, that you've known forever, but maybe you haven't kept in touch with. And I find it interesting the way that like, whether it's family members or even some of my older like friends who used to be my best guy friends growing up, I find some of the things that they like, the way that they talk to me about me now being out, they beat around the bush. They don't want to ask direct, direct questions about it. And almost like, I still always also get this like sense of the overall, I don't know how the, the best way to articulate this, but essentially when I, sometimes they'll say things where it's almost implied that they, you know, they're like going out of their way to be so kind to, you know, let me know that they accept me in, mm-hmm. in the way that I interpret it is like, they think that I need that validation. And I'm like, girl, I don't care. <laughs> like, you guys are not doing me any favors with this. Um, You're like, I don't need like, that. Yeah, yeah thank like, you though. I don't need it. But like, if you want to ask me questions, like I am a truly open book. So um, I like that. Essentially coming back to what you said is I really like that um, idea of like being proactive about it being like, what concerns do you have? Uh, is there anything I can clarify for you? I really like the idea of being proactive about it letting them know that you want to talk about it. Um, I think that, you know, goes a long way in, you know, kind of helping them, you know, if I was like that, I think maybe, you know, maybe I could get my, you know, my parents up to speed a little bit faster and, you know, kind of help them catch up to my trajectory that I talked about since I moved us out. So um, I think it's a really interesting plan. Yeah, I think it, it can really help. And I, again, I want to acknowledge like, it is a burden to carry to always having to be, to explain and defend your identity to people. And, even two nights ago, I mean, we got into a deep conversation about queer identity and some things like that came up with my parents uh, and something my dad said. And then it, it was like an hour later, we're still talking about stuff. And I, I just said, hey, pause. One, 
here kind of a couple summarizing things. I also want to name that like me spending an hour defending sort of my identity and, and helping educate you around queer issues is exhausting. And I actually would like to table this now. Like I'd rather us move on. So I think yeah. it's also okay to say like, this is too much and I can't do yeah. this all the time. And so, you know, protect your energy and yourself. Like we don't have to do that everywhere, but I think when you can, um, it can help a lot. And also I, you know, one thing my dad said to me when I came out was like, when you came out, we all came out because now we get all these questions and your siblings are getting bullied and stuff happening to them in school. And that was not meant to make me feel bad, but it was like, acknowledge that this is an experience we're all in now. And I think by talking to them, you also can equip them with language and things. So that when the questions come to them, because I find extended family, they don't ask me things. They're too scared. They don't want to ask about me doing drag and posting me on the internet. They're like, what the hell is this? So they ask my mom, they ask my oh, sister. Yeah they go to them. And so I think also talking to them can really help when they start to get these questions so that they can respond in a way that you feel comfortable with, uh, with explaining your identity too. Would you be, would you be willing or like open to them coming instead of, you know, bypassing your mom and sister and going straight to you? Like, is that, would you prefer that? I wish they would. Yeah. I tell my mom that I'm like, just, that's not your job to do that. Like yeah. tell them to talk to me. And she's like, Oh, they're too nervous. Or, yeah. you know, I think my life feels way too foreign or distant from theirs now. Like, you know, I've yeah. been in California for 10 years and so mm -hmm. they don't know how to relate where they're talking to her probably more often, but I do wish they would ask me. Um, and some have, many have, and it sparked some really strengthening of our relationships. Um, but people are afraid. And I think, you know, I, I appreciate we're in a time now where cultural sensitivity and being like really thoughtful about language has become more important. And we're saying like, you can't just say this type of stuff that's offensive and get away with it. But I do think it makes people more hesitant to bring up topics because they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and so there's like a line to skirt there where it's like, I do want to have these discussions with them. I do want them to be respectful, but they have no exposure. So often I don't think they have the language to even know where to start. 100%. I totally agree with that. I, I've had many challenging conversations with, with, uh, my parents where I've had to remind myself that exactly what you just said is, and what we've talked about a little bit before was like just not having the right vocabulary to really say what they're trying to say. Um, and mm -hmm. I kind of, what I said before, I have to, I have to like consciously take a, sec a second to step back and be like the, the intention of what is being asked or said is like not intended to be how I am taking it. If I'm just looking at the words used, it's there. It is, I think it is actually curiosity. And there was one specific instance where I did, I don't think I handled it very well at all. And I think I probably, and I ended up like with a hang up on the phone. And I, mm -hmm. I was like, after that happened, I was like, I think I just did more damage than I did good. And I feel like now they're going to be like more afraid or hesitant to ask me questions. So like, I, I don't think I did myself any favors with it, but I was just frustrated in the moment and it led to me hanging out. Um, so I've tried to be, I've, after that is when I've really tried to, I've like looked back a little bit and that's where I was like, I realized we're on two different trajectories. I have had like the growth that I've experienced since coming out to them has been insane and they just have not had that. So I'm trying to be very like conscious of that and it's not always easy, but, um, it does help put it in perspective and, um, you know, it hasn't, I haven't had any more hangups since then. So, <laughs> uh, so I think it's working. That's growth too. Yeah. Baby steps, right? Like baby steps. I think too, we like think sometimes in those discussions that we need to get them all the way in one conversation. Like we need them to understand everything all at once. And sometimes it's just like, we're just going to cover this little piece. It's like today we're just going to cover a small fraction of it and 
remind yeah. them again, yeah, that they don't have the same knowledge. And so it's just going to take more time. Do you, uh, and I, one other thing I, I, on religion is like, I didn't grow up very religious, um, but I did do, I did go to catechism for a couple of years. And I do think that my parents not being religious helps with, helps, you know, it made me feel more confident to come out even, you know, when I did. Um, cause I knew that that wasn't going to be something that I think that they would have, you know, used, not used against me, but like, you know, it, I, I think it would, it would have made it harder. And I do remember my one like thing I did catechism for several years. I couldn't tell you a single thing I learned, but I do remember all I remember from this experience was one time in class, the teacher, I, I must've been like mm, elementary school, maybe like early yeah, elementary school. Um, I remember she said, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And she just let out this like, you know, maniacal laugh after. And like, that is truly my only, my only memory of any, like all of the religious education that I went through as a, I, I, you know, had as a kid and looking back, I'm like, wow, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. The things that you like cling on to. And like, I didn't, in the moment, I didn't think anything of it, but like, you know, flash forward, 20, you know, 20 years, I still remember that. It's true. Those little things like sit with you. Um, And, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit before, but just even, you know, even when you've come out uh, and you get to that point of being like, you know, it's a huge obstacle, obviously, to say, this is who I am. I'm going to go into my day to day life and own that despite the friction. I think we have to acknowledge that those little, whether they be microaggressions or more overt aggressions or things that sort of like make us feel less than or like our queerness is not okay they don't go away when you come out right um those sit with you and i think over time it's important to look back and see what of those do we still hear or are still lasting you know you still remember that specific moment and i know for each of us it's very different but i know for me it took a lot of time a lot of therapy a lot of years to then acknowledge like oh i'm still holding on to a lot of that stuff right like i'm still hearing these messages from my church and my family growing up in the environment that I was in that being gay and being queer makes me less than. And then I think even the the tricky edge, which became, again, my dad was so great when I came out, but it's been challenging over time, is that he then, but he, he, he was okay with me coming out, but there were qualifications. It was like, but don't be that type of gay. Don't put it in people's yeah. face. Uh, ironically, it was like, don't march in the parades. Don't dress in women's clothes, which I do both of <laughs> <up> now. Um, <laughs> but it was like, and, I, and I've asked him about that. And it was, you know, he was like, no, I wanted to protect you because I didn't want you to be, you know, it was like, be, it was like sleep with men and be attracted to men, but don't be queer. Don't express yourself that way um, because that will draw unnecessary attention. It'll make other people uncomfortable. And so I think those messages, even though, you know, in that case, maybe that was meant to protect me, that stuff messes with you. And you think like, okay, I have to be a certain way then in in order for people to like me. Even this, I know we talked before about getting our, I just got my ears pierced, everyone, if you can't, if you're not (laughs) watching this on video, uh, you know, and I've been doing drag for years, but I was very hesitant to getting my ears pierced normally. And I said it was because like, oh, I, you know, it's just, you have to wear the same ones for two months. So I don't have time for that. I'm, I'm performing so much, but really, truly, I still think it was my dad's voice a bit in my head saying like, don't be that type of gay. Don't be yeah. feminine or flamboyant. And it takes some time to unpack that stuff. Right. And realize like, we actually don't have to be a certain type of queer. There is no right type of queer or gay or lesbian or transgender, like just be what you want. But, you know, our environments tell us a lot of different things that don't, don't go away, you know, just when you come out, I think. 
They really do. And I feel like, you know, kind of what we were talking about before about, you know, your first memory of when you, when you knew, in addition to that, it's some of these, these memories that you have that just randomly will just come to you. You know, you might be vacuuming or something, you know, something completely not even thinking about it. And then all of a sudden you, you have this memory and you're like, oh, wow, that might explain some things. You're like, that might be still un- affecting me more than I knew. Um, it's so interesting how that I find mm-hmm. it to be so interesting how that happens. I also think like I totally hear you about the the earrings. I think I had the opposite or opposite feeling towards it because when I, I it was like the second I moved to San Francisco, I was like, all right. Now I, you know, I think I was, I think I had been coming out to, you know, to various people for the last like year before I moved. And the second I moved mm-hmm. here, like within two weeks, I got a tattoo within a couple of months. <laughs> I got my, my ear, my, one of my ears pierced and I got the gay ear pierced because I wanted yeah. you know, just to like, you know, stick it to the man <laughs> or whatever. Um, I had the opposite reaction where I was like, I want to really lean in. I think I really, I don't know that I was doing it consciously, but I, that was kind of my mentality. It's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Like, why am I wasting any more time? You know, because my mentality when I came out was, you know, I just spent 28 years fighting this thing that, you know, when I look back, of course I knew almost the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. But so I was like, all right, let's, let's go. I, you know, I don't want to waste any more time. I want to, you know, you know, accept my queer self and embrace it. And I'm in the city that just, you know, embraces, um, all sorts of queer people and all of that. And, you know, I wanted to be a part of it. And so like that, for me, that in a weird way, like piercing my ear was one of my ways of doing that. I remember that's another memory in time, because I think one time I went to school for, this is so embarrassing, but for Halloween (laughs) or some, like, it was like musical artist day. I think I tried to dress up like Eminem and I put the earring on the right instead of the left. And of course I wasn't out. I was like in middle school or something. Yeah. And I remember they, they latched onto that immediately and were like, oh, you picked yeah. the gay ear. And I was like, of <laughs> course this would happen. Like I'm trying to be this like mask, like character. Yeah. I, yeah. I probably wanted to go with like a spice girl instead, but I did that <laughs> and picked the wrong ear. So yeah. no, you're totally right. I think, um, no, I felt that way too. So I just got these done a week ago and, uh, Honestly, so I was thinking a lot about it and why it felt so empowering because I was just like on cloud nine that day. I felt I just loved them. I think one, because it was such a long time. But I also think that, you know, again, to what I was saying about what I was, the message I got was like, you know, blend in, don't be, take the path of least resistance. Don't put this in people's face. And I think that even in um, the gay community in San Francisco, one of the more accepting cities in the world, there still is this like, I think, hyper glorification of being mask, right? Of like more masculine identity. And like people even talk about being like, oh, I'm can be straight passing or people don't know or I don't deal with bullshit because I'm like past this like straight in public. And I think in some ways, like especially where I grew up, like that was encouraged in college too. Like yeah. I dressed like a frat dude and like tried to be, you know, where I'm walking around, people wouldn't necessarily know. And I think in some ways when we start to do things that are more like just queer on their, you know, and not that straight men don't pierce their ears, but for me, like getting these done, I've started to wear these like pearls more frequently. I'm like, you know what? I don't really care if I walk into a room and you know that I'm queer. I actually would like for that. It's kind of more empowering that I don't have to explain it to you at this point. Like I can just step in and like, this is actually who I want to be and I'm not trying to hide it anymore. And if you have a problem, then, you know, we'll address that. But I'm, it's just exhausting to try and like edit, you know, I don't have them painted today, but typically I have my nails painted too. I feel like yeah. that was a big step for me to say like, I want to paint my nails all the time. I, you know, not just for fun things. Like I want to wear that to work. And of course there's like explaining that happens there, but 
you know, one thing that, you know, we talked about as we were preparing for this was around coming out being something that happens all the time, like daily, often for people. It's like, there's the huge moment of like when you first come out, but like queer people, as we enter spaces, you know, there's this negotiation first, often I think that happens of like, is this environment accepting? What will they think if I tell them who I am? Um, and then, you know, having to explain I, for me anymore, I'm like, if you don't figure this out, like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like, I think yeah. it's pretty obvious, but you know, there are times where people, you know, go to a hotel, is your wife checking in with you or, you know, your girlfriend or a friend was telling me like his mom put his photo up at work and someone was like, Oh my, I have a niece who's like single. And she's like, no, he's gay. Like, there's just environments you step into where you have to like come out all the time and be explaining yourself, which again can be exhausting. But yeah. in some ways I think as I've like embraced just being like, I'm going to be me and be very open about doing drag and presenting in a more queer way in my day-to-day life. Um, it's a bit freeing. Cause I think then I feel like I have to do that less. Cause I'm like, I'm just leading with this. Like, I don't even, I'm not going to give you a chance to like question or be unsure. Like I'm actually really proud of it. And so I'm putting it out front for you to see all the time. As you were talking, it, you were, it registered some, some like thoughts that I had about, uh, you mentioned like at work and stuff. I remember when I first moved to SF, it was my first office job since I had been out. Um, and I didn't know how that really worked. And so I didn't, I didn't know if I, do I need to come out to people? Like, do I, you know, force it? Do I just wait for it to come up naturally? I didn't really know. And so like, there was a time where this person who was a couple of levels above me was basically telling me about her friend and that I should date her. And I didn't know what I, what to say <laughs> in that moment. I was like, do I like say, what do I say? Like, do I just like say, Oh no, thanks. Or, you know, whatever. Um, and I was telling my therapist about this. I remember his, his line was like, Oh, you should have just said, does she have a brother? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, wait, that's brilliant. I'm going to use that next time. Um, and so eventually I ended up coming out to, uh, you know, some of my friends at work and then it was, you know, known and it was like, no big deal. The company I was working for, I swear 90% of that company was gay. It was kind of amazing. <laughs> that way. Um, yeah. now I, I, I recently switched companies and I, you know, there was like, there's been zero hesitation for it this time. It's like, I, not to, I didn't, unne- you know, not unnecessarily coming out, but I talk about my boyfriend. I talk about, um, you know, me writing blogs about me coming out. Um, I shared my blogs about coming out, you know, with some of my coworkers, I changed my zoom background to be this, you know, in, in Phil's and the Castro there's, um, you know, the, the crosswalks are like the rainbow and that they yeah, yeah. has that in there. I changed my zoom background <laughs> to be that for pride month. And I've like, kept awesome. it up since then. So it's like, it's a very different, the confidence level is very different now. And it's kind of like you said, it's like, here, this is it. Like, I, I'm not explaining it. Like this, this is just what it is. Uh, and you know, if you can't tell, you know, I have my ears pierced, my nails painted, my zoom background is literally a rainbow. Then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> You're like, and honestly, we need to have a separate conversation. If you're not getting <laughs> exactly. it at this point. No, it's interesting. I think that uh, two thoughts in response. I think, you know, often if we lead with that and just let people know that we're comfortable with it, then they feel comfortable to talk about it. Anytime right. I'm like introduced to a new team and they send the email, I put in a link to my drag Instagram and just like let people know because it's a fun talking point and it's like, dispels yeah. all of that because that I feel like covers the whole spectrum you're like oh not only are you queer but you do this whole other thing and like okay we get it um yeah. the other thing I'll say though is like you know depending on I'll acknowledge like the privilege that I have and having been in a very inclusive workspace for 
all of my career. I mean, media is intense, but entertainment industry definitely is very open to queer people. And so has my time in tech. Um, so I know there are folks who are in environments where like, they don't, you know, know if they would be passed over for stuff and it's not so open. And so I want to acknowledge that for sure that like, that's not everyone's possible, you know, possibility, but where the, when you can, I think, or at least finding folks that are, can be allies for you, mm-hmm. that doing that can really, really help. Um, and just being, you know, confident who you are. Yeah, that is a good point. I do feel like the experience in SF specifically with a lot of these least tech companies is, you know, you're typically, you know, odds are you're probably your coworkers are, you know, there's not going to be any issues, but we're, we're very much in a bubble in a lot of ways here. Absolutely. Yeah. I recently sat down on a flight. I was flying back from Chicago and had to connect in Salt Lake city. And the second I sat down, the guy next to me turned over and said, what's with the painted nails? And I was like, oh, here we go. I was yeah. like, oh, you don't like them? I was like, you don't like them? And he was like, I just don't understand like why are they painted? And I was like, I mean, why should women get to have all the fun about painting their nails? Yeah. And then he left me alone. But I was like, yeah, I just forget that it's not like that. And, you know, there is such a, there are so many factors that come into place with like your experience in the queer community. I think certainly being in the place that we live makes a huge difference. There's difference in experience based on race, socioeconomic status, difference between being cis and trans in the, in the queer community. Like, so I will acknowledge like sitting here, I do sit in a position of a lot of privilege and I'm very grateful for that. And so there's going to be differences along the way and, and certainly in how people are able to come out and they experience things. Um, yeah. But with that said, I will say I'm very grateful that I've been in the bubble for the time that I have, because I think so many of the things about me that have kind of come out or developed, um, including doing drag, uh, would not have happened had I not been there. It allows a lot of space to experiment and try new things and connect with people who are across the spectrum in terms of their like gender identity, expression, sexual orientation, like all of that. There's a lot of opportunity for sure. And on that note, I, I would love to kind of transition into you know, your experience in the incubator, because it sounds like what you said earlier was, um, you know, it wasn't until you moved here that you finally, you know, were able to explore, explore drag. It's true. You know, um, I moved to San Francisco in 2013. And at that point, I did not like drag. I'd been to maybe a couple drag shows. I didn't watch RuPaul's Drag Race. I remember distinctly my ex. uh, So I dated the same guy from college through like my late 20s. And uh, we, I remember him being like, you should watch RuPaul. I think you'd like it. I was like, I don't really like that. Like, I'm not into it, Yeah. Um, which is so funny now. But <laughs> yeah, so when I moved to San Francisco, um, after a couple of years of kind of getting settled, I found my way into an incredible group of queer people who are still some of my best friends. Many have moved around as, you know, tr- San Francisco turns over every few years. A lot have moved across the country and the world now. But at that time, they were my core group. And I think it was the first time I'd been really embedded into a friend group where, you know, there were people who were much more expansive in their gender expression, uh, people who identified as men who were wearing heels and makeup and earrings out regularly being their nails. Um, the first time I, you know, in San Francisco, at least had developed close friends with trans folks. I have a couple of friends from back home who came out as trans after school or after we'd moved away, but it was the first time I'd really like stepped into a friend circle. I did not have that when I lived in LA where there were trans and non-binary people who I was like getting to be in community with in, in the same sort of way. And so as I got to know those people, um, they were just very much like when we would go out would be like, you know, if you ever want to like put on some makeup or like heels or whatever, like no pressure, but like definitely you're welcome to like use any of our stuff. And, you know, 
again, there's this message in my brain of like, this is what boys do. Don't be that type of gay, but my dad's not looking and I'm in San Francisco. So maybe I'll just like try a little, like I'll put on a little lipstick um, or put a little eyeshadow or sequin jacket. And I remember I look back at those photos now and I'd be like, I thought I was it girl. I was like, (laughs) I thought I was like doing so much. Like I had so much on and I felt like, so like, Oh, I'm going against to have friends who were just like, this is okay. Like be more wrong. And so as I started to do that, I would go out more and more um, kind of dressing up, being more queer. And I got to see more drag. I got to know some drag queens in the scene and the queen who ended up becoming my drag mom. I remember her coming up to me one night at a bar. I think I was I had a decent amount of makeup on. I was in heels and some kind of like club kid look. And she was like, Oh, I love your look. Like, have you ever thought about doing the full thing or like doing full drag? And I was like, I don't really know. She was like, well, you know, I like love teaching people. It's like one of my favorite things. So if you ever want to like learn the makeup, I'm happy to like sit down with you and like walk you through it. Um, and my ex, why not? We don't know this person, but like, let's just like reach out. We went, uh, Sugar Beaties or Jimmy, just name out of drag, taught us makeup. And so for the next like year after that, uh, my ex and I, Zach, we w- spent a lot of time like playing in makeup. We would like watch YouTube tutorials and then go out to like the clubs, like in these kind of, we would like, it was so cute. We would like go to a thrift store on like a Saturday afternoon by like, you know, going to the women's section. It felt like, so like, Oh, I can't believe yeah. we're doing this and buy, yeah. buy looks, spend the evening, like make dinner, put on makeup. And then we go meet our friends at the club. And so that was like, there was like a year of that where we're exploring stuff started to kind of trickle onto social media. Red flags go up with parents and friends. Yeah. It's like, what the hell's going on? Like, Cause it went from, you know, they were like, I don't get, get this or understand. And I didn't make some bold proclamation at that point. I was like, are you having fun? Right. Um, and same drag queen Shoga had a show in the Castro at the edge. And she kept saying like, if you want to like come perform, like you'd be more than welcome. And I was just like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't know. But I'd done theater growing up. Like I did theater from like elementary school. I'm actually in the, my closet. I see a sign for to kill a mockingbird from like the early 2000s when I was in that uh, the community theater. Like it's, I've done that forever. But, but so I eventually was like, oh, this isn't that different. Like, and it's just like in a small bar, like I'll just like try it out. And, and so, yeah, so we like started. So eventually we were like, okay, let's like go, we'll do this show. Sugar was like, you know, we can book you. I was like, oh, just, it's like, it sounds fun. I'd done theater, like growing up for years and years. I was like, it seems kind of like similar to that. So did one, a lot of friends came. It was like super fun. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll do another one. Um, and, and, you know, four and a half years later, except for like, of course, when things are closed, I've done shows, you know, once or twice a month that entire time. Emic was like making drag music people like <laughs> it's like a slippery slope that first time you put on lipstick and heels you don't you know next thing you know you're going to be like performing in drag like all over san francisco <laughs> i never had like some grand plan of like i'm gonna become a drag queen it just like sort of evolved into that over time um and what was really you know interesting a couple things which are relevant maybe to this conversation one was that that like year or two of like going from going out and dragging the first time to like performing and becoming like a thing that, you know, I cre- started to create like this separate social media before under Mary Lou Pearl. My time in therapy during that time was wild. Like it was so intense of like all these things I was unpacking around like, oh, I can't, I like oh, it's not okay for me to be out like dressed like this or like, and all of the like things I was realizing at the time around, just like how afraid I was to be seen as that queer or things that my parents would say. 
so in many ways, like I learned, I think so much and it opened me up so much in my gender expression, like figuring that out. And I'm really grateful. I had the opportunity to be in therapy at that time to really get to like unpack that. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents, man, they had a hard time though with, it was in many ways way harder than coming out as a kid. Um, Interesting. they were just like my dad who was, yeah, it's flipped too. So my dad, who was so accepting the first time around was terrible. He was terrible. He was just like, what the hell is this? Like, why are you doing this? Doesn't make any sense. Like, you you know, you're this young, successful professional at Google. Like, why would you dress up in women's clothes and then like post all over the internet? Like, this is so embarrassing. Like, it's going to hurt your career. Like, I just don't get it. My mom was like, I think very afraid because of how bad my coming out came when I was a kid. And so she didn't really initially say much except that she just was like, you know, I don't really understand, sweetie, but, you know, your dad's kind of freaked out. Like, we don't really know. All of our family's asking questions. In my mind, I'm like, I don't care about that. Like, I've dealt with enough. This is just, I'm just having fun. Like, I don't owe anyone anything. Um, but it took a lot of talking through with them. I mean, I we really got down to it. And that's why earlier I said that about, like, really talking to people or asking your family or the people in your life, like, what questions they have. Because when I finally got the time with them and said, what are you afraid of? Or what is it about this that's so scary to you? We uncovered a lot of um, confusion on their part around what drag meant. There was a lot of transphobia on their part. They were, you know, convinced I wanted to be Mary Lou Pearl, that I wanted, that I was trans. And this was like the beginning of that. And so I was like, well, let's clarify if I, now when you talk about like what transitioned and close friends who were, um, so there was a lot there that like they needed to kind of under, you know, come to understand and they also just had an idea that drag was like this like dirty, filthy, like, you know, thing that was like, I don't know, counterculture and like not accepted. And like, I don't know what it was like their exposure to it. They just thought it was like, not what it's become. And I think drag has always been beautiful and amazing, but they just hadn't quite caught on the, like how drag has moved into the zeitgeist and become this very like popular celebrated thing recently. And I was like, no, this actually like really helps me. Like this is, it's been very additive and people are celebrating it. My friends love it. I'm having a blast. And certainly there's like, you know, some edges to it around the way people perceive it, but where I live, this is amazing. And so there was like a lot of just educating, I think that needed to happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, it took some time and was hard. And I was like, damn, we already did all this. Like, why are we going to <laughs> do this again? And it was hard. Like I said, harder than the first time they did finally come to a show. Uh, yeah, that was pretty uncomfortable, but he did it. Uh, we're proud of him. Nice. Um, and my mom, yeah. my, my mom's come to another one. Uh, she came a couple years later. So, you know, they're, they're growing and learning, but it's definitely been a journey for sure. For somebody who, who might be listening and, you know, maybe they're considering, you know, maybe drag is something that they've considered doing, but maybe just haven't had, you know, the courage to really to try it yet. What advice would you give to them maybe in terms of like, maybe some of the the positives that you've experienced through it and maybe like personal growth through that. And then also from like the, you know, kind of like the coming out perspective of, you know, talking, you know, like you're mentioning, like having to have that conversation yeah, with your parents absolutely. and family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry if I cut you off. It That's went out for a second. Um, yeah. I think, you know, taking a step back uh, as I answer your question, I think that one thing that, again, we were talking about sort of this like continuous process of coming out uh, that happens often with people is again, like there's that kind of singular point for some people initially it's that they, it's about their sexual orientation. And for some people, maybe it's about their gender identity. They realize very young that they're trans. Um, I think, again, we think that that's like a point in time, but I think what's really, I think is also beautiful is that because we often at an early age 
are faced with a piece of our identity that other people don't understand that we have to grapple with and explore. Um, I think it in many ways unlocks our brain to the possibility of that as time goes on. And so for me, having, you know, at an early age, realized I was gay and figured that out and sort of navigated that challenge. And as time has gone on, then I'm like, huh, I'm actually really interested to do this thing that seems kind of scary or different, or I'm unsure about, but I'm going to explore it and see, um, and see what that opens up. It's been super amazing and really transformational to get to have that experience to drag again. I think the environment that I've been in very supportive in San Francisco has made that possible for me. Um, but I think that that, you know, I would encourage folks to remember that doesn't ever end. And there's never any point where it has to stop. Um, I'm certainly like, I'm at a point now too, or as time goes on. And as I've spent more time in queer spaces and doing drag and realizing like, you know, like I really like expressing ways. Like from a long time, I would just be like, okay, I'm either fully Blake or fully Mary Lou. Like I just want to be, you know, quote, just in boy clothes or just, you know, going in full drag. Like that's just like, I want to be on that performative end, but I've actually found lately, it's like, I kind of like the space in the middle too. Like I like just wearing, like getting got my ears pierced or wearing jewelry or going out in heels and like wearing women's clothes. Like, I think there's so much space there. And so part of what I would say is like, leave space for that self-exploration to always continue. And, you know, I'm in my early thirties now and still on that journey of sort of figuring out like who I, how I want to express who is Blake, where does Blake begin? Where's Mary Lou end? Like, what is the, that sort of uh, my, most authentic self. And I think that changes too, as we grow. Um, but I would say for folks who are exploring any of those questions, um, to one, you know, know that that's okay. And it's like always very normal. Like identity is not static. There's not just like these hidden things we're looking for that we have to find and then it's done. Like they can evolve. You can change your mind. It can be fluid. I think that's, you know, again, something that's becoming more and more accepted and seen in the queer community. I think as you try and navigate how to bring that up with family and have those conversations, I mean, I'll just say bluntly, it's hard. <laughs> Even with accepting parents and family, it's hard. Um, I think what I found really helpful is to bring them along with the journey. And instead of, you know, necessarily saying like, this is who I am, deal with it. Um saying like, hey, I want to like bring you in on sort of some questions I've been asking or things I've been exploring, or here is how I started doing drag. You know, I started going out and realizing I really like this. It reminds me when I did community theater growing up, except it's very queer. When I'm doing it, like my friends are celebrating me. It's, I feel like this huge, like, you know, rush of like this performative energy. It's allowed me to express myself in different ways. And it's really fun. Um, and I think doing that and dispelling it and bringing them in, if you can, if they're willing to step into that world with you a little bit, can really help them understand. Um, and again, like, don't think you're going to necessarily explain all of it at one time. Um, but, you know, doing it little by little and sort of presenting chunks of that and what it means to you can be helpful. I mean, even like, so I alluded to this earlier, but the other night we were at the dinner table here on this trip home. My dad made some other comment about, it was like one of those things he said years ago that I thought we'd move past about like how it's harder for people to often like accept folks who are more flamboyant because it's like in their face. And, you know, me 10 years ago might've just let that slide. Me today did not let that slide. It <laughs> sparked a, a pretty big conversation. And I was like, dad, I'm literally sitting in front of you. I've been a drag queen for almost five years. I have my ears pierced. I'm wearing pearls and my nails are painted. So number one, this is, that's an offensive thing for you to say. Yeah. And number two, I actually really like 
like to be able to step into spaces and be more flamboyant. And that doesn't make, there's no right way to be queer or gay. Like it doesn't make me any less. And sure, there are people who are going to perceive me differently, but I can't live my life trying to live for someone else and how they're going to perceive me. I have to show up and being the version of me that I thought people wanted, but robbed myself of the joy of authenticity. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. And if I step into spaces where I'm not welcome or that's not okay, then I'll find a different space. And I have found one that's really beautiful that I love. Um, but for us to talk about like the right way to do that or what's going to be palatable for straight people, I'm over that and not doing it anymore. And so I think it's also just like, as you go claiming like, this is how it's going to be. And I said that to him about drag at one point, he was like, you know, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, don't post this on the internet. It's going to hurt your career. And I was like, dad, I am going to do it. Like, I live in a different world than you do. Your perception of this is so different than the life I'm living. And so your decision is to figure this out and come on board and enjoy the journey or not, because like, it's going to happen. Like, I'm sorry, but I'm not listening to what your perspective on this. Like you, it's not valid. And I said that the other night too. I was like, you just have to trust queer people when they tell you who they are and their experience. Like, just believe them. Like, believe people and the experience they've had and you know, to quit trying to like force them into the box you think they need to be in. So I know I'm rambling. Obviously this is like <laughs> years of identity and stuff I've like processed through, but it's a journey and it never really ends. Right. I think it, it's all, you're always kind of continuing, but I think if you sit in it with folks long enough, like they'll, they can get there if they're willing. But you had, you had several like really great little nuggets in there. Um, one of them, I think you said first was how you said identity is not static. And I, Totally agree with that. And one of the best parts about, or that I have found from coming out, again, speaking about my own personal experience here, um, has been to be able to change your identity. I, I feel, you know, in ways that are more in a more authentic way, you know, hopefully, um, I think it's so, it's so fun to be able to really lean into some of those things like growing up that you felt shame for, or you were told like boys shouldn't do or shouldn't be into, um, you know, and all of like those things that you just had to suppress, like your interests, the way you talked, um, how you dressed, uh, you know, all of it. Um, it's really fun to be able to, you know, as you're coming out and get more, you know, more comfortable and confident as you start to come out to really like allow yourself the ability to explore all these things, you know, and, you know, drag is a great example of that. And then also, I really, really liked what you said about, you know, not going to change yourself to make other, you know, other people more comfortable. And so like, I, you know, I, I, again, I, I like to think that I'm there and I know there are probably times where, you know, I am not there and I do maybe like try to conform or blend in a little bit more um, subconsciously. But it is really nice to to be in a in a place where you you are kind of you know I don't want to say stubborn but like you're like no this is who I am and I'm I spent so much of my life like pretending or hiding you know who I am and like I'm not doing that anymore <laughs> like no longer exactly yeah I think like it's interesting because I know that like our queerness is not it's obviously not totally who we are there are many facets to us but I think often other people treat it like a cliff note. They're like, oh, like, oh, well, that's just a piece of you. So why do you have to make everything about being queer? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not. You just, this is like coded language for you asking me to like, like be less. And so you treat it like, you know, telling someone to wear sensible shoes on a hike or 
to be like be less loud in the library you're like just this is who i am right and it actually is a huge part so to dismiss this but it's a very important piece and it's one that i've grappled with and thought about every day and every space i've stepped into on how i navigate and express myself and so don't diminish it into like this is not that then it's it comes i think it did for my family maybe one from a place of trying to protect me but also from a place of um them not wanting to have to like explain or deal with you know the queer son who's drawing attention but I think at some point you're right. We just have to say like, no, like I'm not going to do that anymore. And that doesn't mean it's always easy. Um, and like you said, like even getting off the plane here in Atlanta, I, I noticed the glances from typically the older white country men looking at my earrings and nails and giving me sideways looks that, you know, definitely made me be like, oh, maybe I, okay, this reminder, it's not quite the same. And so there's still something to navigate and in different spaces for sure that I grapple with often, but definitely, you know, feel like I've gotten more to a place and I'm very grateful to be there where more and more, I'm just saying like, you know what, it's not worth it for me to turn this off. Like this is just who I am. And so I'm going to deal with um, whatever happens where I step into different spaces and I'll just proactively choose spaces where I feel like they're going to be more open because I'm not willing to edit myself down to be, again, palatable to other people. It's just not, not interested in doing that anymore. Yeah. Thank you so much, Blake. Um, is there anything else as we wrap up? Is there any other, any other nuggets that you would like to share maybe, you know, with somebody, whether or not they're, you know, considering coming out or maybe in the process of coming out or, you know, even kind of back to, you know, somebody who is out and considering doing drag, but might be a little too scared um, to take that first, that first step. Is there anything else you'd like to leave uh, our audience with? Yeah, um, I would just reiterate to that there's no end point that you're getting to. It's a, a lifelong journey. I think you're going to learn new things the whole time. And if you think you've wrapped it up, then maybe you're limiting yourself on some additional growth. So I think always be open to that. No, I think that the other bit that I would say is like, I want to acknowledge that, you know, we're two white gays in a big city in a pretty like uh, inclusive environment. And so, you know, a lot of like my experience and the way I've talked about my coming out is going to be very centered around that and that privilege that I carry and that I had very red and uh, just like people around me who were showed me possibility of what I could be. And I think for many people that doesn't exist. Um, I think the media and the internet and TV like certainly help. Um, but I also want to encourage people, like if you're in a place where you don't have folks around you, I think part of the power of the internet is being able to reach out to folks, uh, and, and find that community and create it for yourself. Um, I've had people reach out to me either through my drag, uh, Instagram or my personal who are closeted and just have seen me as someone pretty visible through performing and things like that and have questions. And I'm always so happy to talk to them and share perspective or even offer to like grab coffee. Not that everyone will do that, but I think like if you're if you're feeling like you don't have that, like people who are a bit further down their journey who you think would be weird to like reach out to or try and make a connection with if you're trying to figure things out, like I think for the most part, most of us who've gone through this in some way are very willing to help. Um, and so if you're not in a place where you see that possibility or where you feel like there are concerns around safety with coming out, like you can seek those people out and find that community other ways. Um, I know it's like not a necessarily like traditional way to use it, but I think even things like Grinder and dating apps can be a way to like find friends and people too, um, to connect with just to have someone to talk to, because I know that can be a huge obstacle. Um, and I, and I hear a lot of language to do with people being like, even Harvey Milk said this years ago, like, and I think it's a, it's a really amazing step to take and an amazing opportunity to 
kind of live more authentically, but don't feel like there's like a timeline or that you're ever behind, right? Like there's no point like, oh, I didn't come out at this point or I'm this old or I haven't done this yet. It's like, no, it's yours. It's yours. Like you get to decide like that is yours to own and no one else's. And if you decide, I had someone come up to me at an event recently when I was in drag and tell me at 75 years old, they had just come out to their wife and their children. Whenever it happens at whatever point you feel like you can do it, it's the right time for you. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Again, you just dropped so much good information there. I am good. I want to kind of just emphasize a couple of these points. Um, backtracking to what you said about using tools you can use to kind of make your own community or help you navigate this process as, you know, as you're coming out, maybe like using, you know, dating apps to make friends. When I was first coming out, I totally did this. I, some of the first people that I ever like talked to about coming out were people on Tinder. And I remember feeling like it was the first time that I had people that I could be completely open with because a, like you don't know them B um, they're, they probably have a, you know, some relatable experiences. And so I, and I would be very honest. I'd be like, yeah, I literally just came out like last month and I don't, I'm trying to figure this all out. And like the, people generally were like, there's like a couple of people I still like follow on Instagram. I think that I just chatted with in these early, early, early days because I felt like I didn't have any, like, like a gay community to really talk to about it. And for, and I did have gay friends, but for some reason I felt more comfortable talking with like these complete strangers because it felt more of like a, I can say literally anything I want right now for the first time in my life. And I'm, I don't have to like second guess it. Um, and so I would totally, I totally agree with you and, and think that that is a, is a great way to kind of, you know, start making, you know, a community or even just like, you know, when you're going through coming out, like when you're coming out, you sometimes just need to get shit off your chest. And like, yeah, this, it's a, it's a very low stakes way of being able to do that. Like, obviously eventually I found therapy and that was, you know, that was even more productive, but in those early stages when I didn't have that as an option, um, that I found that to be really effective. Um, and then also about the no timeline that is very near and dear to my heart because I, you know, when you moving to San Francisco, I, I came, I came here at 29. Um, and again, I was a year into coming out and just like meeting all these different people. And, you know, so many people came out so much earlier than I did. It felt like, um, it was really, it, it's hard even today. Like in general, I think I don't, I try not to think of it very much, but there are times when I still, I still, you know, have those, you know, moments of regretting, you know, my losing my early twenties, you know, or my mid, even my mid twenties, um, and not having been out sooner. Um, but similar to what you said, I like, I would like to just reiterate, it's like, I try to focus on the fact that I did something that I never thought I truly never thought that I was going to do, which was come out at all. Um, and so even though it was when I was 28, you know, I'm just happy it happened. And I, it's, it, there's just no point in for me to like, look back and wonder what if, or like wish that I had come out sooner. Like, of course I wouldn't. I would, you know, right. I, I would, I would have liked to have, you know, to have a couple more years under my belt. So I don't feel like a gay bee all the time uh, in San Francisco, but um, at the end of the day it happened. And that's truly what is the biggest deal for me. So um, I totally agree. No timeline. And I, I really do think that everyone does it when they're ready to do it. Um, Absolutely. With that said, Blake, how can people um, get in touch with you uh, if they, if they had any questions about your story or, um, wanted to reach out to you or Mary Lou Pearl. Yeah, uh, great question. So 
I think probably uh, Instagram is the best. Um, I'm also on Mary Lou is on TikTok, so <laughs> Mary Lou Pearl, M I S S. But I think it's a bit it's harder to weed through stuff on there sometimes, uh, maybe because I'm not Gen Z. But you can find some of my stuff there. But Instagram's probably easiest. Uh, it's also Miss M I S S Mary Lou Pearl, and then my non drag Instagram is Blake, my middle initial L Mitchell. Um, and very open. I love chatting with folks. Um, both of those kind of serve a bit of a different purpose, but I'm always happy to connect with people. And again, like for anyone navigating things, whether it be coming out or wanting to explore drag or their queerness or any of that, like always happy to chat with people. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Blake. Uh, I know this is going to be helpful to, to many people who are listening. So um, really, really appreciate it. And for being the first guest, the first recording. That's amazing. I, I am so thankful. Yeah, I, I'm afraid I gave you some editing work to do with some of the cutting out, but um, you know, it wouldn't be the first podcast without some glitches. So we're just getting that out of the way. Everything in the future will probably be easier. This is, again, I'm on this country internet out here in rural Georgia, so I will take responsibility for that, but very glad to be here. And again, thank you for putting this together. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If this week's episode resonated with you, please take a second to subscribe and leave a review. You can find Reaching Out with Michael Constable on Instagram and Twitter at Reaching Out Pod, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Wingsit. Bye bye, see you!